Just keep them in your prayers this week. Okay, we're going to jump into the next part of our, our sermon series as we've been walking through 1 Timothy and now 2 Timothy. We've only got a few more weeks to go and then we'll be done with the sermon series. Um, today we're going to turn to 2 Timothy 2 verse 14. I'm going to take my name tag off. You all know my name. <laughs> Hi, I'm Paul, if I don't know you. We do this on our family service. It's just a way for us to learn people by name. I know it's always difficult when we see them every week and we can't remember their name and we're too embarrassed to ask them what their name is. So do your best today to try and remember people's names. How many of you enjoy conflict? <laughs> I have got three people. How many of you are good at conflict? Maybe part of your job is to to be involved in conflict and you actually enjoy dealing with the situation and you go in there guns blazing because you are good at dealing with conflict. For the rest of you, how many of you do not enjoy conflict? The majority of you. The majority of you, whether it's con a conflict with your wife or your teenage child or a friend or a work colleague or a family member, do not enjoy when there is conflict. We often enjoy shying away from it. Kenneth Thomas did this diagram. Let me just click it through. Ozzy, if you can just make sure my clicker is working, please. There we go. This is a diagram that talks about conflict, and there's two um, parts to this diagram. The first one is the goal, and th that is the area of contention that you're dealing with. And the bottom talks about not, it's not being too important, and the top part being it's very important. And then you've got the relationship line, where it's not so important or it is very important. So he starts off with this analogy and he, he gives each group a name of an animal. So the first one is the turtle behavior, which is those that avoid conflict. And when the goal or relationship is not that important to you, or where confronting the issue is not really going to make much of a difference, that group of people are known as the turtle group. They avoid conflict at all costs. Now, if you go up to the top, we look at the shark, the competing or the confronting behavior. And this is when acting as a shark, when people are more concerned about their goal than the relationship. Um, if they choose, they will often choose their goal at the cost of relationship. Maybe your line manager is not there to be your friend, but has a specific thing to confront. And doesn't matter at the end of the day if you like them at the end of the day or not, their job is to bring a decision or action a certain area. Then on the other extreme, we've got the teddy bear behavior. That is the accommodating group. When acting as a teddy bear, people value the relationship more than their goal. If they must choose, they will often, often give up their goals to maintain their relationship or to support the other person. So it's like, listen, this friendship is too important. I am not going to confront the issue because I know that this maybe relationship is a bit rocky and I do not want to jeopardize this relationship. The fox behavior is more of a compromising group. When acting as a fox, people are moderately concerned about both their goals and relationships. In seeking a compromise, they are willing to give up some of their goals in return for the other person giving up some of theirs. So they seek a middle ground where both sides gain something. But the one I want to look at the top is, is the owl. 
the collaborating. When acting as an owl, people value both their goals and their relationship. They respect their goals and care about the other person's goals. As an owl, conflicts are seen as a problem that can be solved and as having the potential to strengthen relationships. It's a win-win. So we're going to put the, the issue on the table. The relationship's not on the table. We want to deal with the issue, and hopefully at the end of it, our relationship can be stronger and we can deal with what we need to deal with. Now, why am I telling you about this? Well, if you've been tracking with us through the sermon series, Paul is challenging Timothy to deal with these relational issues in the church. And some of them are really difficult because he has to confront these false teachers. And many of them, some of them have even been kicked out of the church. And then he has to consistently deal with the people that are still in the church that have been affected by these false teachers. But who knows that working in a church is not like working in corporate, where you are paying people to do a job and you can say, Nathan, get this in order or you're out of here. I'm not here to be your friend. We've got a job to do and we need to do it. But when we're in church life, it's a little bit complicated and more difficult. So we have to find ways to keep the relationship and not lose the relationship, but yet to still deal with conflict. And I know this time of the year, I actually plan to preach about a sermon on offense, and I might do it in the next few weeks. Every year I need to teach a sermon about offense. Why do I do it at this time of the year? Because you're all grumpy at this time of the year. <laughs> Your fuse is short. It doesn't take much to get offended. And when I hear and listen to relationships, I hear of some of the conflict that is currently happening. It's that time of the year. And I need to again teach about what the Bible says about dealing with offense. But today is also going to talk about how we deal with relationships, how we confront relationships. And if I had to take a guess, there are people sitting here today that have difficult conversations that need to be had. Or you are currently in the middle of a difficult situation that needs to be confronted. Whether it's confronting your wife about something, or someone in your life group, or someone that you serve with, or someone that you know, we all need some tips about how to deal with conflict. So let's read this passage, and we're going to work through it line by line this morning. From verse 14, you can follow with me in my NLT, and then you can read your translation when you go through it line by line. Remind everyone about these things and command them in God's presence to stop fighting over words. Such arguments are useless and they can ruin those who hear them. Work hard so that you can present yourself to God and receive His approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. Avoid worthless, foolish talk that only leads to more godless behavior. This kind of talk spreads like cancer. And in the case of Hymenaeus and Philetus, they have left the path of truth, claiming that the resurrection of the dead has already occurred. In this way, they have turned some people away from the faith. Click. But God's truth stands firm like a foundation stone with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are His and all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions and the cheap ones are for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use 
Your life will be clean and you'll be ready for the master to use you for every good work. Run away from everything that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Again, I say, don't get involved in the foolish, arrogant arguments that only start fights. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, be able to teach and be patient with difficult people. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's traps, for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. Holy Spirit, we just invite you as we look into the word this morning that you would pinpoint things and areas in our life, God, where you want to see us change and grow in. Thank you, Lord, for your truth this morning. May we not just be hearers of it, but doers of it. Won't you enable us, Holy Spirit, to be better at engaging and deal with conflict in the lives of people around us? So we just pray your blessing over this time. Amen. So remind everyone about these things. He keeps reminding us as we read through these letters. And he says, and command them in God's presence to stop fighting over words. I wonder what words they were fighting over. But there were issues. There was conflict. Such arguments are useless and they can ruin those who hear them. Some conversations, some arguments need to stop because no good is going to come out of them. And one of the dangers in church life is where we can go get so stuck on certain words and actually at the end of the day, there will be no good that comes out of it. So he encourages them. These arguments are useless and they can ruin those who hear them. And then he challenges Timothy. He says, work hard so that you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. There is an illustration here of standing before a judge. And when you stand before a judge, you make yourself open for critique. Would you look at my behavior, judge, and tell me if I have behaved correctly or not? It has to do with assessing and passing a test. And he says to Timothy, the way that you deal with this conflict, do it in such a way that you get the approval of God. Deal with this conflict in a way that when you stand before God as judge, you're not going to be ashamed. Who knows that there are times when we deal with conflict and we walk away feeling ashamed of the words that we use or our attitude or our body language or you can fill in the blanks. Sometimes there is something about saying, God, when I deal with conflict, relational challenges, can I do it in such a way that I get that stamp of approval that I did it to honor you and I did it in a, glorify, a God-glorifying way? Don't feel ashamed. Don't walk away being ashamed as the way, in the way that you dealt with this conflict. Avoid worthless and foolish talk that only leads to more godless behavior. This kind of talk spreads like cancer. And then he actually publicly shames two people. And you don't know exactly what the issue is, but it seems like they have been claiming that the resurrection of the dead has already happened. This is a false teaching, and he has to confront it. 
to the point where it's like, listen, you guys can't be in this church anymore because of your false teaching and the way that it's impacting and influencing those around us. Challenge to us is to avoid worthless, foolish talk that only leads to more godless behavior. How many of you are able to walk away from a conversation when it's going down the wrong path? How many of you are willing to not participate in it but able to walk away or to say, guys, this is just foolish and worthless talk? But God's truth stands firm like a foundation stone with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are His. The Lord knows who are the true believers and who are the false believers. So obviously in this congregation we have false teachers and then we have those who have turned away from the truth and are in a sense false believers. They are believing something that is false and they're not walking in the truth anymore. And it's like our great shepherd Jesus that can look at a congregation and know who are his and who are not his. Who are there like sheep, I mean like wolves disguised in sheep's clothing, wool, who are not there to bring wholeness and unity, but to bring division and to cause problems. But all those who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. Jesus knows, he's able to differentiate between the true believers and the false believers. And then he goes and he gives this analogy. Now, if you were to come to my house, for dinner, for a meal. We have life group that meets at my house every so often and we always have a meal together as a life group. And when we talk about crockery and cutlery and plates, so we've got some... Yes, we've got some old plastic plates that have been around since when our children were babies, okay? And we have paper plates. And then we have our plates that we've had for a long time, so part of our, um, no, part of our, um, I feel like saying homework, but when, when our boys have, when they have duties in the home, no. chores, <laughs> that word just got lost. So one of, one of my teenage boys has to pack the dishwasher and the other one has to unpack the dishwasher. Now, most of these plates are covered in chips because this chore, this duty, is something that has to be done as fast as possible. It is not something they enjoy. It's not something they want to do. We often have to beg them to do it. But I feel ashamed if you were to come to my house. I would not put these plates out because they are covered in chips. Then we had a friends of ours immigrate. And they blessed us with their plates, which don't have any chips. And when our life group meets in our house, these are the plates that we put out for them. <laughs> not the paper plates, not the plastic plates, not the chip plates. And then in our cupboard, we have these plates. Whoa. Wow. <laughs> I wish it were gold, but it's not gold. <clears throat> that have been passed on through the generations. I don't know if it was Malign's granddad or granny or family member, her mom's wedding gift. Okay, this was a wedding gift. These come out for very special occasions. Not just when our life group is here, but when all the, 
very important people come to our house, we take out those plates. In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions, and the cheap ones for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean, and you'll be ready for the master to use you for every good work. This wealthy home stands for the house, the church. Now, this is a verse that I've read over my life. And when you read this verse at face value, if you'd have to take it out of context, you'll look at it like this and you'd say, wow, God uses in a church, in a church like this, there are people who are holy and pure that God is going to use for honorable, special things. And then there are those that are struggling with sin and have really bad issues and they're gonna be like paper plates in the church that just for everyday ordinary things in the church. And there is some truth to that because yes, like I think leading worship is an honorable thing to do in a church service. And if Daniel was living in terrible sin right now, I don't think we would allow you to be leading us on stage in worship. <laughs> so there's the thing. I was comparing this passage to, to those that are used for very special things and then those that are used for every ordinary things as believers. But I want to say the context of this, yes, there's truth to what I said, and yes, my challenge to you is to walk in holiness and to be pure. Like I, yes, it is an important thing to say, God, I want to be holy as you are holy. We even sang about it this morning. But the context of this has to do with the true believers, which are those beautiful gold-like plates, and then the ordinary things like the, the, the clay and the, the other one, wood, which has to do with the false believers and the false teachers. So there he's comparing these false teachers and false believers as crockery and cutlery that's used for everyday use, not for special occasions. But he says, the true believers, you guys, Keep yourself pure so that God can use you for honorable use. Your life will be clean and you'll be ready for the master to use you for every good work. And in my journey in my life, as I have been trusting God to walk in his calling for my life, this has been one of the verses that has, said, has been a motivation for me to walk in holiness, to live a pure life, because I have had a desire, and I want to say had, because sometimes our passion and our desire to glorify God can do this. So I've had times where I'm like, God, I, I wanna live for you, I want my life to glorify you in my words and my actions, and I don't want any sin in my life, I wanna live an honorable, pure life for you so that you can use me for special occasions. And I feel motivated, like I'm gonna go speak at a conference later this month, and then I'm like, no sin in my life, because I need to be this pure vessel. <laughs> That is holy and God can use me for special occasions. <laughs> hey? I do that. Like when I go on holiday, I'm like, okay, now I don't have to be a pastor anymore. A little bit of sin here, a little bit of sin there. It's okay. Go 
No. <clears throat> no, but I do, want to, I do want to challenge our motivation for holiness and purity. So we all know it is God's will for us to walk, to have pure lives. 1 Peter 1 verse 14 says, don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your old desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy, for the scripture says you must be holy because I am holy. So I have, I know it's God's will for us to be pure and holy. And when you give your life to Jesus, so this, the bottom of this illustration talks about before Christ, before the Spirit of God comes and lives in you, you are dead to sin. And at that point of salvation where you make Jesus your Lord and you invite His Spirit into your life, there are three theological terms that are used that you probably know and understand. The first one is justification. You become justified in that moment. And an easy way to explain it is to say, just as if you have never sinned. God sees you just as if you have never sinned. When he looks at you, he looks at Jesus living inside of you, his spirit living inside of you. And you in that moment are in right standing with God. You are righteous before God. But then there is this process that we all on called sanctification. And this is the journey we are on in becoming more Christ-like, becoming more holy and pure. And then that third term has to do with glorification one day. But I wanna say this to you. When I study scripture, I do not find sanitized, perfect, holy people that God uses. Most of them are broken, fallen people trusting in God's grace to do what God has called them to do. My danger with this illustration is for someone to sit here this morning and say, Paul, I've got issues and I'm not perfect. God can't use me. And then you take away that availability of your life to say, God, use me. I know that God can use you even when you're struggling with sin. I know that God can use you even in your brokenness and even in your struggles to do amazing things for Him. But I don't want to say, don't just stay at that place. God has called you to be sanctified, to grow and become more Christ-like, to become and look more like Jesus. And in this process of becoming and looking more like Jesus, he gives some practical points. And let me run through them quickly. Verse 22, run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Who has a translation that says, flee youthful passions? Anyone got a translation that says, flee youthful passions? I prefer that fleeing youthful passions because he's not just talking about lust, like a youth lusting over another person. He's talking about youthful passions. And he says, flee it. This is where we get our English word fugitive from. You know a fugitive that's just escaped and they're on the run? This is present tense, continual tense. So you are in a place where you are fleeing so that you don't go back to prison. And he says, believers, Christians, flee youthful passions. Don't go back to your slavery and bondage. Keep running from them, keep fleeing them. So what are youthful passions? I'm gonna give you some examples, not from my teenage boys, but probably from their friends that I get to observe and look at. Various kinds of behavior of teenage passions would be rash acts 
decision-making without thinking through the consequences. Being argumentative is a youthful passion we must flee. Definitely not my boys. <laughs> Being impatient is a youthful passion. Selfish ambition. Being stubborn, unteachable. Youthful passions that I think we can all identify with. Flee them. Acknowledge it. When we just make decisions and we don't think about it and we can be so self-centered and argumentative and think at the age of 13, we know everything. We have all the answers. No, we don't know everything. No, we don't have all the answers. So he says, flee, and then he says, pursue, run after. This is where we get, our, get the word persecute. If you are persecuting someone again, you're running after them. So he wants you to flee these youthful passions and he wants you to run after these things. Righteous living. That is reading God's word and saying, God, I want right living. So yes, positionally in Christ you are righteous, but he calls you to live rightly in your behavior. Righteous behavior. Tells you to be faithful or faithfulness. This faith refers to both being faithful and to trusting God. Are you faithful as a follower of Christ? I want to say even when you're unfaithful, He loves you and He is still faithful. Get back to being faithful. Trust Him. Love. What Greek word is this word for love? It is agape. This refers to the God love. This is without emotions. This is an act of the will. This is how we love those without maybe expecting them to love us back. This includes practicing loving actions, practically loving people. Then he says, pursue peace. Paul says in Romans 12 um, that we are to live at peace with others. This peace is an attitude of quiet composure that would have a neutralizing effect on these false teachers or false believers. Is there peace in your relationships at the moment? Peace doesn't mean just covering up and hiding everything under the, the rug, but actually confronting things to fight for that peace. So he wants you to pursue right living, pursue being faithful, pursue love, and pursue peace. And then I love this, he says, enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Proverbs 13 says, the one who associates with the wise grows wise. Proverbs 27, 17 says, iron sharpens iron, so a, a person sharpens his friends. If you want to grow in holiness and purity, surround yourself with people that will challenge you to grow in your holiness. Yes, come on. I say to my boy, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Show me the people that have the most influence over your life. Those people that you do life with, they will help shape your, the person you're going to become. Enjoy the companionship with, with those who call on the name of the Lord. You know, if I started living an immoral life and started backsliding, I can tell you now my friends would have a problem with it. Those that hold me accountable would call me to account. <laughs> it's 
Surround yourself with people who will challenge you in your process of sanctification. And then he concludes by saying, again, I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. And then he describes Timothy as a servant. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone. This word kind, um, Paul uses it in 1 Thessalonians when he says, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. There's this beautiful picture. I understand all the moms here. There's a moment when your fuse goes and you are not kind and gentle anymore. Your child has pushed you to the point of no return. But then there is this picture of a mother being gentle with the child that is throwing a temper tantrum and having a moment. And a mother that comes, a nurturing mom that comes alongside them. So he challenges Timothy and he says, like a servant of the Lord, Don't get into the quarrels unnecessarily, but you must be kind to everyone. I wish he excluded the everyone part. (laughs) Fill in the blanks of who you are called to be kind to. Servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone and able to teach and be patient with difficult people. Would all the difficult people in this church please stand? Don't stand. At least you have self-awareness that you're causing me to go gray. Those that stayed seated, we will pray for you. Wherever you are, whether it's in your life group or your workspace, there are difficult people. And he says, church leaders, leaders, people in church, be able to teach and be patient with difficult people. Lord, help us. You know what this word patient means? To bear evil without resentment. To to have someone falsely accuse you of something or say something about you that isn't true and not to retaliate back in the same spirit, but to respond in an opposite spirit. To bear evil without resentment. Again, Lord, help us to be able to guard our hearts to be able to be secure in who Father says you are and your actions and the decisions you've made without holding a grudge, without retaliating. We must bear people's unkindness and be patient. Servants must gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Again, this word talks about gentleness like meekness. And that's an illustration of a stallion, a strong horse with the reins in. Meekness is called power under control. Yes, you can lash out. Yes, you can show them who's boss. But meekness is a controlled, controlling yourself and acting in the opposite spirit. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's traps. For they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. Here is Timothy who has to confront people 
whose hearts have been deceived, whose minds have been deceived. And he says, respond with gentleness, kindness, be patient, and let's pray that God would change their hearts and open their eyes and they would see how they've been deceived. And let's trust for their salvation. He could have easily, you know. So let's go back to this process of salvation. In your process of sanctification, God is going to use people to make you more holy. Anyone want to be more holy? Get married. <laughs> God will use your spouse to work the character of Christ in you. Often, every day. Yeah, Mark, if you want to just stay the same, be selfish, live for yourself, don't get married. Don't marry May. He will use May to help develop the character of Jesus in you as a practical person to love every day. Show kindness, patience, grace, forgiveness. Yes. Yeah, and your wife isn't even here to defend you. Defend herself. Then he will use other believers to grow your character. Join a life group. There will be people who will rub you up the, the wrong way, who will irritate you, who will offend you, who will say things to you that upset you. This is God using them to build the character of Jesus inside of you. It is very hard for God to do it if you lived in isolation in a cave somewhere. But living in community, you are opening yourself up in this process of sanctification for God to grow the character of Christ in you. Work hard so that you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who, that, who does not need to be ashamed. I want to encourage you, those of you here today who need to have a hard conversation, who are in the middle of a hard conversation, who are in the middle of conflict, to do it with a heart that says, God, I want to glorify you and honor you in the way that I deal with the situation as an approved worker. I get your stamp of approval. I don't have to walk away with the tail between my legs ashamed of how I behaved. To grow in godliness, in godly character. So if you've missed what I've said today, there are plenty of practical points to work on. Avoid worthless and foolish talk. Flee youthful passions. Pursue righteous living. Be faithful, dependable, trustworthy. Love the way God loves. Pursue peace. Pursue godly relationships. Be kind to everyone. Be patient with difficult people. And be ready for the master to use you for every good work. Now I know as a teacher that we're not going to work on all of these 10 points. So let's start with one. Pick one of those things that you feel the Holy Spirit is convicting you of that you can practically say, God, would you work this in my life this week? And maybe a person would come to mind who you have to deal with this week when you go to the office this, the, tomorrow morning or when you go home this afternoon and you see that one family member. In your growth in the pursuing holiness, 
being set apart in this process of sanctification, which one of these challenges would you pick? Which number? Is it practically loving the way God loves? Is it pursuing peace, righteous living, asking for that fruit of the Holy Spirit called patience? The worship team can come up. Is there a number 11? Just keep reading the Bible. It's all there. Well, <laughs> are you too perfect? You need something else to work on. Nothing here speaks to you, Justin. I'll try to be patient with you right now. <laughs> we sang the song earlier. We are your people, set apart. And I think the lyrics had something to do with God make us holy like you are holy. I want us to sing the song again. And it is saying, Holy Spirit, please would you continue to work in my life to make me, conform me into the image of Jesus. In the words I speak, in my actions, in my behavior, in my attitudes, that we can be set apart. And then I want us to make ourselves available for the master to use us for good works, Whatever Father wills and desires, that we, he would find us available. Not perfect, he's not looking for perfection, but looking for people who love him, who seek him, who are on this journey of becoming Christ-like and saying, here I am, Lord. Use me for your kingdom. Use me to touch those around me. Let's stand up together.